you know, last semester we did apologetics. Like I said, this one we're doing worldviews. And, and, you know, worldviews kind of help us understand what the problem is beyond the church answer of sin. Okay? It helps us to really understand, engage, and know what the problem is that exists in our, in our culture and in our society. Apologetics helps us answer that. Right? So we went through that first. Uh, it's always going to bring it back to Scripture. I'm always going to bring it back to Scripture because that's where the ultimate truth is. So as we, we look at this, and so we're going to go ahead and get started. If, any, if you don't have any questions, which I didn't really give you a chance to answer any, but we're going to move on. Okay, so introduction to worldviews. Man, the tribe of Issachar, it's 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It says, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. They understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. And if we don't properly understand the culture that we're living in, we're not going to know what's the right thing to do. We need to understand the times of this culture. You know, and I've been doing, man, I've been doing apologetics and worldviews for a lot of years. And even, man, you can get caught up in that emotional swing of the moment and just lose your mind on the whole thing and forget everything that you learn, right? Because you get emotionally tied into it. And, and again, it's not that your emotions are bad. It's just your emotions are the shallowest part of your being. It's the shallowest part of your being. It is easy for your emotions to swing from a high to a low in a moment's notice. In a moment's notice. And so, again, God gave us emotions. He gave us feelings. He gave us those instincts. But we've always got to measure it up with what does God's word say. And if our feelings and our emotions and our instincts don't align with God's word, then they're leading us astray. And we have to say, what does God's word say? That's what I'm trusting. God is good. God is true. God is beautiful. And he desires his absolute best, not just for me, but for every person in all of creation. And so, again, we're going to be talking about topics through the next 18 weeks that you just may, man, it just may supercharge you. Just remember Man, we must not let our emotions get out of control. Okay? The tribe of Issachar, they understood the times, and because they understood the times, they knew what was best to do. They knew what was best to do. We need to be like the tribe of Issachar, understanding the times that we live in. All right? So worldviews. Everyone has one, right? Most of us don't recognize it. Most of us don't recognize that we have a, a worldview, or even if they did, they really couldn't tell you what it is. They really couldn't tell you what their worldview is. Okay? A worldview helps us make sense of the world that we live in. It helps us make sense. Because we can know what to do in the world and what to do for the world. We live in a world of ideas about what is right and wrong, which in turn tells us how we should live. We can identify worldviews by looking for patterns. And you want to think about a puzzle, okay? So you got puzzle pieces. My wife and I, we enjoy doing puzzles. It kind of 
just lets us check out our mind. And so we just sit at the table and we talk and listen to music and, and we do puzzles. For every one piece I put in, she puts in like 15. And then she's like, here, try this piece and put it there. And so, and I do it, and man, I'm doing the happy dance because it's just like I'm the puzzle master at that point in time, and it's all good. But we enjoy, but like when we do puzzles, right, we look for patterns, we look for shapes, we look for colors, we look for all of these different things that helps us know where that puzzle piece might go, right? And so, if you don't know, I'm, I'm the director of the bookstore, right? So there's, I, I, I would put a shameless plug in here, but it's, it's closed because of flooding and everything like that. So give me a couple weeks, and there'll be all kinds of advertisements and stuff for it. But anyway, so Christmas Eve, man, there's a water pipe that burst in the bookstore, and it was, I wasn't in town. One of my employees was there, and a lady comes up to her and says, hey, there's water in the bookstore. Oh, yeah, we sell water. We can get you a bottle of water. And no, 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 no. In the bookstore. There's two inches of water. So anyway, man, it's Christmas Eve. There's stuff all over the floor that we hadn't sold yet, and water's just damaging all of it. Well, one of the, we sell puzzles, right? No, no surprise there. So we sell, sell puzzles. So the box was destroyed. But the puzzle pieces are in the plastic bag. And I'm like, yeah, hang on to that. That's good stuff. We'll sell it for 20% off. Now, and so now I could give you some of you this puzzle, right? Could you put it together? No? How, how about if I gave you a picture that went with the puzzle? Right? Because that's really how we do it. Now, there, there may be a few special people out there that's like, I don't need no picture. I'm going to put it together. Right? So we, we got the puzzle box, and it's always sitting up on the table, so we're looking and matching colors and all this other stuff. And that's, we're looking for shapes and patterns and colors and things that's going to let us know where the piece fits. Right? And so, I can't do anything with this because I don't have a picture. Now, I think some people could probably put it together. We found the picture to the puzzle. I'm like, sweet. So now we've got the picture that goes with the puzzle. Could you put the puzzle together? I, I think most of us could. It makes make sense. Some of us longer than others, like me. Right? We're working on a Christmas puzzle, and I'll be working on it next Christmas. But I got the picture. I got the picture. Now, what would happen if I gave you the wrong picture to the puzzle? Could you put the puzzle together? I, it, we're making it a lot harder than what it really needs to be, right? Well, when we look at worldviews, everybody has a worldview Everybody's trying to put the puzzle together because there's only one puzzle. Everybody's trying to put it together. But depending on your worldview, you're looking at the wrong picture. You're looking at the wrong picture. And so literally as we go through these 18 weeks, I'm going to quit saying that. That just sounds kind of discouraging. As we, you know, we're going to be looking at patterns and shapes and colors to determine worldviews. What is a worldview? Why is it important? And so we'll look at, anyway, we're, I'm getting, getting ahead of myself. We're going to go on. So anyway, it's patterns and, is what we're looking for. So what is a worldview? A worldview is a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, 
the world and our relationship to God in the world. Okay? Does that apply to an atheist? How so? Okay, they think something about God, right? Everybody thinks something about God. He's either the all-powerful, all-knowing, right, supernatural God that's created all things, or he's one of a million gods, right, whether we're talking about Hinduism and Buddhism, or he's just, there's no God at all. I'm still thinking something about God. Everybody has a worldview, and that becomes the definition. Everybody operates under that, whether they know it or not. So this is a worldview triangle. Um, Again, at the bottom of it, we have worldviews, which is shaped, right, by religion, by philosophy, by ideas, by friends, by media, by your phones that you have, right? All of these ideas pour into, and they they make a worldview. And from the worldview, we gain our beliefs. And from the beliefs, we gain our values. This is what we say is most important to us and what we're going to live by. And then we have our behavior. Then we have our behavior that literally reveals what we really believe. Right? I was listening to a, um, a TikTok. I'm not a big TikTok person, okay? I'm not a big social media person, but I'm listening to TikTok. If you're not on TikTok, don't worry about it. Don't ever go there. You're, you're, a, you're a much happier person without having it. Anyway, so this, there's this young lady, and she's talking on this TikTok, and she goes, oh, yeah. There was a time in my life I was a super strong Christian. It was really, my faith was really important to me. I never read the Bible, but my faith was really important to me. And so I'm thinking, what you're thinking? You're like, it wasn't that important to you. Because your actions reveal what you really believe. Your actions believe what you really believe. She wasn't really strong in her faith because she didn't even know what it was. Look, if you're not in God's word, that's a problem. And it's a bigger problem if you claim to be a Christian and you're not in God's word. Right? This always takes me to Matthew chapter 7, right? 7-1 talks about do not judge. But when you get to around 7-15, it starts talking about false teachers. And it says, a good, fruit, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. You will know them by the fruit that they bear. She had zero fruit that said, my faith is important to me. My Christian faith is important to me. And then she goes on to talk about how she walked away from her faith. I don't know what faith she walked away from. But it wasn't the Christian faith. It was not the Christian faith. Our actions reveal what we really and truly believe. You can't escape that. You can fake it for a while on Sunday, right? When you're just here for a couple hours, I can fake being a Christian. It's just when I'm driving the streets of Memphis is when it really shows, (laughs) right? That's when it really shows. We can fake anything for a little while. Our behavior reveals it. So how do we identify patterns, right? There's two key ideas in identifying patterns. The first one is, is we all live in a rule-governed universe. We all live in a rule-governed universe. You want to think about a game of rules. We play by the rules. We play by the rules. 
Have you ever played with somebody and they just always want to change the rules? Don't play games with them. And if you're one of those people, stop it. I'm at my, my daughter's house with my son-in-law. And I don't even remember the name of this game. But literally, you can flip a card and the rules change. Just like that. And so at the end of the game, whoever has more monkeys wins. <laughs> Unless this one card flips and it says whoever has the least amount of monkeys wins. And so you're playing this game, and I am losing my mind. <laughs> I'm losing my mind because I'm like, this is a post, the perfect postmodern game. There are no rules other than what you want to make up. All right, and whoever flips the last card gets to make the last rule. And that's the way our culture lives. That's the way our culture lives. You make up your own identity, you make up your own reality, and you make up your own rules. And we'll, huh? I, I did not. That game, I lost at every turn, and I don't care whether I flipped the card or not, I was losing. I think my son-in-law did, but after I thought about it, this is the perfect postmodern game, it dawned on me why he won, right? I mean, he's a, oh, I'm not going to say that, because he, he, he's in the music industry, and he's a sound technician, and so he's kind of... He's creative, but I know not all music people are like that, Amanda. Work with me on this, right? And so, but anyway, he's just a super creative guy. I love him to death, but he, yeah, you just got that postmodern picture. Just put his picture on that. Um, so anyway, but ultimately, we live in a universe that's governed by rules. We got laws of nature. You got laws of physics. You, I mean, there's just all of these rules that take place. You got the second law of thermodynamics, all of this stuff. It's out there, and that's how we live. That's the world that we live in. Right? So life is like that also. There's rules that determine how things work. Right? If we understand them and live by them, we can find purpose. We can learn how to make the world a better place to live if we play by the rules. Questions? Key number two, when the rules are followed or ignored, patterns emerge. Patterns emerge when you follow the rules or you break the rules, right? And it's the whole idea of morality. And we'll get into this example. Um, I can't cite it right now, but when we get into the economics realm, we'll talk about this. But for the most part, I mean, it was Lyndon B. Johnson's for you young people. He was a president. It was back in the 60s. Um, and he started this war on poverty. It was a war on poverty. I mean, we spent billions fighting this war on poverty, and we only moved it like 1% or 2 or 3% since the 60s. Wow. Billions. Just give the people the money. But so what happens is, is, man, there's study after study. We can not eradicate it, but we can eliminate a lot of poverty if we just follow like four simple steps. Four simple steps. These are the steps. Write them down. They're not up here. Get an education. Look, it doesn't even have to be a college education. Matter of fact, today you'd be better off getting a different education other than a college education. Right? That'll come up in the education piece. But get an education. Get a job. Get a full-time job if you can. But get the job and keep the job. It doesn't make a difference whether it's fulfilling or not. Get a job and keep a job. 
If you're looking for a career, work at a job until you find your career. Right? So get an education, get a job, get married. Okay? You don't have to get married, but you can get married and then have children. If we will do those four steps, we can eliminate a lot of poverty. Yeah, you know, it's just crazy. When you turn that upside down, it doesn't work. Right? When we start having kids and we don't finish high school, right? And I can't get a job because I don't have an education and I'm not going to get married because the guy's a loser, right? Man, you are just starting this perpetuating cycle of poverty because we turn it upside down. There's patterns, there's purposes, and there's designs. And when we follow them, things will go better. Not perfect, not perfect, but things will go better. And you can use that example on all kinds of, whether it's morality. Um, never mind, I'm going to move on. Purpose and design. Man, I hang my hat on this right here. I don't care what discussion I'm having. I don't care who I'm having it with. I don't care where I'm having it with. Tell me what you believe. Tell me how you live your life. And I'm matching it up with God's purpose and design. I don't have to know anything about it. You can tell me. And I just start looking at purpose and design, right? We look at that idea, that example on poverty, how to eliminate much poverty. Man, that's God's design. That's God's design. And when we get outside of it, it's going to be failure. It may take us a while to get there, but we look at that, right? And so when we look at the whole idea of gay marriage, I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to look at studies I don't have to take polls. It's not going to end well. Not for the individuals that are in it and not for the culture that they're in. I know that. The question is, is how long is it going to take till it just self-destructs? I teach a homeschool class on Wednesday mornings. So I was talking with my class. And so we just use the example of the pandemic. Right? Man, there's so many good examples or bad examples or whatever it is you want to call on that whole thing. But what we did is we create these lockdowns, right? Stay isolated, stay isolated. We got to be safe. And again, I'm, to a certain extent, you know, we need to be wise about these things. I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. Why? Because God created us for community. He created us for community. And man, I'll let you in on a secret. Zoom is not community. Okay, that's not, man, that just gets torture after about the third one. That's not community. And so we talk about the virus, but we didn't talk about the pandemic of despair that was taking place during the virus. Man, suicides went up. Drug addiction, alcohol abuse. Physical abuse of children and women went up because of the isolation. And there was no outlets. And we act like, well, we didn't know that that was going to happen. 
No, some people didn't know that that was going to happen. Because when we look at God's purpose and design, it says you're made for community. You are made to operate in a community. And when you isolate that community, you're outside of God's purpose and design. I hinge everything on that. And so, man, when I'm talking, where does that fit in with God's purpose and design? And if it doesn't, you're on the wrong path. I may not be able to explain it at the time. I just know that it's true because I know God's word is true. Okay, questions? All right. God made the universe. He made it to operate according to certain rules. They're his rules. It's his purpose and his design. And we don't get to change the rules. We don't get to play the monkey game and flip the card and and make our own rules as we go along. Culture operates like that. We can create our own reality. I can create my own gender. I can create my own identity. I get to make the rules. Right? And we see this in the garden. Adam and Eve got to make their own rules. It didn't end real well. Right? It's God's rules. It's God's purpose. It's God's design. That's the picture. Right? That's the puzzle picture that we got to look at to put all the pieces together. It's God's picture. It's God's design. When we get outside of that, it's not going to go well. So ideas. This is almost going to kind of sound like an invert, and it actually is an inversion of the the worldview triangle. But ideas have consequences. Actually, it's not going to be this one that's coming up. Ideas have consequences. If you've been around me very long, you've heard that about a million times. The students are like, stop. Stop it, right? Good ideas bring good consequences, and bad ideas bring bad consequences. But when you're in a culture that says you can make your own reality, there are no bad ideas. The only bad idea is the one that says you can't make your own reality. That's the only bad one. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Man, I was reading, this has been a couple months ago, I was reading an article out of the New York Times. Very liberal paper. And the person, I was blown away, I had to read it a couple times. The person was saying, man, when bad ideas happen, the most vulnerable people in society become the victims. This wasn't a Christian. This is a secular person writing this. The most vulnerable people become the victims. Here's your most vulnerable people, children. Children always pay the price. Always pay the price. Then women. And then those that are economically deprived. They all pay the price for bad ideas. Man, I can be in my puzzle palace, right? No pun intended, right? In academia. And man, and I can be pushing these ideas. And when they finally hit the street, I don't have to pay the price for them. The victims do. The victims do. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. So life's big questions. Every worldview answers or attempts to answer the big questions of life. Origins. Where do we come from? How do we get here? Who am I? Purpose. Does life have meaning and purpose? 
Morality is the right and wrong. How should we live? Destiny, what happens after we die. This one I added in after the notes were printed. It says identity. So that's not on your sheet. Uh, so if it matters to you, write it down. If it doesn't, move on. This is the question of the age. What does it mean to be human? That's the question of the age. What does it mean to be human? Right? Had a young man come to me a couple years ago. He was going to a secular school, and he was doing a debate on abortion. And he was wanting to know, what do I need to do? And I said, well, let's talk about it. He gave me his outline. Great outline. It, it was great. I said, you're missing one thing. He said, what's that? And I said, is the baby in the womb a human being? Is the baby a human being? He said, well, yeah, your paper doesn't say that. Write it down. When you get into the debate, don't leave that point. You can talk about freedom of choice. You can talk about health care. You can talk about whatever you want. Is that baby a human being? And don't leave that point until they concede that point. And then what? And then you said there's never a valid reason for killing a human innocent being. Never. So he came back to me a few days after the debate. And I, How'd it go? That's the only point I talked about. <laughs> He's got six pages of notes. That's all I needed. She conceded it. There's never a valid reason for killing an innocent human being. The debate was over. This is the question of the age. What does it mean to be human? That's it. Yes, sir. Actually, I would say neither. I would say truth is the most important thing. No, I agree. The person is important, but we always have to address it from the point of truth. We always have to address it from the point of truth. And so if we let a lie go unchallenged, then we, we're, we're not helping the person any. We're not helping the person any. So we've got to deal with the truth. Now, again, if it's, a, if it's an issue of do I pay you $5 or $10, that's not the point. But when we deal with issues of life... Right? Even God does not destroy life. He does. And so when we deal with life, that is, we don't move off of that point. Not for any reason do we move off of that point. God does not. God values life so much, right? He gave a son to die for that. Life is the issue. 
He did. We do, we do have that free will. We have that free will. But again, we get to the point is, I'm just speaking truth into your life. Whether you choose that or not, that's on you. I'm not going to force that on you. But when we negate life or diminish human life, we lose it all. We lose it all. When you know, we We're talking about the, the pandemic. When If I'm putting safety above my freedom, you're either going to have safety or you're going to have freedom. If you give up your freedom for safety, you'll eventually lose your safety. But that's how we lose so many people. Because, you know, because of what you're because what we're doing, we take that for safety. Yep. We miss the person. Because we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make it so, you know, adversarial yeah. based on the choice. You're gonna lose the person. Yeah. You're always gonna lose it. If you take if you take these cultural issues and you take a side, I think that we're best when we don't take a side. But that's not a cultural issue that's a that's a biblical issue uh that's not what god's word says that's not what god's word says god's word says life choose life i put before you life and death choose life that's not a cultural issue that's a biblical issue that would be like saying oh there is no truth or there is truth that's not a cultural issue that's a reality issue life is a reality issue okay so we have identity this question here, is there a God? Is there a God? Capital G, right? When you answer that question, it will help direct all of the other ones. The origins, the meaning, the morality, the destiny, the identity. And so A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the most important thing you can think. It's the most important thing you can think. Even if you think there is no God, it's going to direct all of those questions. If there is no God, what are our origins? How do we get here? Evolution. evolution. That's it. That's the only option we have. If there is no God, evolution is the only way we got here. And so by starting my thinking with there is no God, I automatically default to evolution. And then it's going to change everything else. Is there purpose? Is there meaning? As an atheist, if I claim that there's purpose to life, I'm literally stealing from a biblical worldview. I'm stealing from a biblical worldview to come up with purpose and meaning. Because if there is no God, there is no right or wrong, there's no truth, there's just preferences and the survival of the fittest. Yeah, who's the universe? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who's the universe? Is it just some intangible force that's out there? I mean, you know, we have to learn to ask questions. And I think that's really where we, get, where we get into these things. We have to learn to ask questions as we work through these processes. So life begs questions. Every worldview seeks to answer it. Everyone has a worldview, right? Hopefully I can make this work. Are we going to have sound on this, Harrison? Sound?
about where to find the best coffee, the new high top she just bought, a book of poetry he found at a used bookstore, a new local band she discovered just last weekend, a zombie apocalypse movie he saw last night with some friends from his martial arts class, her homemade screen print t-shirt, and his favorite Chinese restaurant, which made them both hungry. So they got two orders of Mandarin oh, chicken man. with brown rice, and then Sam oh, opened it's, it's his great. fortune cookie. The graphics are awesome. Life's journey I wish ends see all this. with a new beginning. Whoa. Go watch that when you get home. <laughs> yeah, you'll love it. All right. So we got another video. You can watch that. That's your homework. Every, everyone has a worldview. Okay? So there's six worldviews, and this is what we're going to look at. These are the six, there's more than six worldviews, but there's six major ones that we will look at over the next six weeks. Ideas can be collected into these six different worldviews. Christianity, Islam, new spirituality or new age. What we end up is Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Confucianism Taoism. All of those will get wrapped up into this idea right here. Secularism, Marxism, and then postmodernism. But we got this last thing called syncretism. Man, syncretism is just a blending of all of these. You, pick, you cherry pick what you like out of each one of these worldviews. So it's just this kind of this blended thing. It says, yeah, I like that, and I like this, and this, and this really works for me, and, and, and this one's a really sweet part. I like that. 88% of the adults in America have a syncretistic worldview. Have a syncretistic worldview. Barna Research came out in 2022. It's the latest stuff. That's where these numbers are coming from. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's um, 41% of Christian pastors don't have a biblical worldview, 100% of the time. 41% of Christian pastors don't have a biblical worldview. Think about that. And if that doesn't encourage you enough, let me drop this one on you. Man, when we get down to children's pastors and youth pastors, it's a whopping 12%. A whopping 12%. And we wonder why the church struggles. We wonder why it struggles. 6% of Christians have a biblical worldview. 6% of people that claim, let me, let me change that, people who claim to be Christians and those that are 6% have a biblical worldview. When you get down to millennials, again, let us, let us encourage you on this one. <laughs> it's like, be careful back here, right? 3%. We haven't done Gen Z yet. I'm not looking for a big jump. It'll be less than 3%. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Culture is driving that. And when you live from a syncretistic worldview, that's your only option. Yeah, Doug. 
Yeah. 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 That that's exactly what it is. You know what? It's we've got to be in the word, right? But we've got to make sure that we're not talking just knowledge of the word. It's application. It's got to be application of the word that we actually walk in obedience to what God is calling us to do. Yes, sir. Yeah. But if, if a youth pastor, and I have done this before, yeah. when a youth pastor starts bringing in some of these big games and doing games and stuff, mm-hmm. and there's no mission work, my kids and grandkids are pulled out. Yeah, I mean, it, it lies with the parents. I mean, but what's taking place is today is that we put that on the churches. Hey, here's my kid. Would you fix him? <laughs> yeah, outsourcing that whole thing. And, and you're right. Look, are you our next gen pastors? Man, they're they're with your kids one, two, maybe three hours a week. They're with their parents. More than that, they're with their schools. They're with their schools. And so, well, there, there's options, and everybody has them, but not everybody has all of the options available to them. And again, that doesn't mean that man, we're at a dead end on that. It's just, we just have to work diligently and we have to be intentional about these things. Chronology of ideas, right? Ideas form beliefs, and this is kind of where that worldview triangle gets turned upside down, but ideas form beliefs. Beliefs form convictions. Convictions, convictions form habits. Habits form worldviews. And so we start out with these ideas that builds our worldviews, that builds our beliefs, that builds our values, that builds our behavior. And so we form our worldview, but at some point in time, our worldview begins to shape us. It begins to shape us. You know, you, I do this often. I get ready to say something, and I'm like, I'm really weighing. Is that something I should really go down that road? But I'm, I'm going to go down that road because this is a worldview thing. Right? Man, we love bashing our politicians. I don't care where they're at, where they're from. Man, they are the problem. Here's the reality. Politics is always downstream of culture. It's always downstream of culture. 
And I'm not look. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be politically astute and know what's going on, and and you know we should. But we should do all of that. But man, if you want to change what's happening in Washington D.C., change the culture around you. We've got to change the culture around us because we're just electing people like us. That's all we're doing. And so we blame it on, and you pick your person. The culture's the problem. The culture's the problem. And then when we look at the statistics from the church, man, look, we don't need to be inviting more people to church. We need to be the church to more people. We need to be the church to more people. We got it backwards. Work to change your culture. So battle of ideas. As followers of Christ, we need to recognize we're in this battle of ideas. Therefore, we need to understand the ideas of the world. And again, you know, you sit there and you say, what's going on? How many times have you guys asked yourself that in the last three years? What in the world's taking place? The last time I taught this class here was 2018. That's the last time I taught this class was 2018. It's like we live on a different planet now from 2018, right? I spend probably two to three hours just updating one lesson. So much has changed. Two to three hours updating a lesson. It's like a different planet. It's changed that much. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You know that us and them, you know, that's, that's not a biblical mentality. That's not. We want to make somebody an enemy so they can take the wrath of my ideas or my words or my actions or whatever it is. Man. If they don't know Christ, they're doing what lost people do. The issue is, is if you know Christ, are you doing what lost people do? Am I doing that? They're captives. Man, we need to speak the truth of Scripture to set the captives free. They're not the enemy. They've been taken captive, and we must remember that. They're image bearers of God, not children of God. There's a difference. They're image bearers of God, and because they're image bearers of God, they have intrinsic value and worth. On that alone, they have intrinsic value and worth. And then we get back to the person is important. The person is important. So worldviews, basic disciplines. There's 10 basic disciplines. This is what we'll pick up after we work through those basic worldviews. This is it. There's more disciplines than this. These are the 10 that we're going to look at. Right? Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a trigger warning here. Okay? Just, and I'll give you one the week before, too. Right? If you're someone and you just lose your mind when you start talking about politics, call in sick. Just call in sick. Man. 
And I can, I can laugh about this because, man, there was a time in my life I'm screaming at my TV. You, you know, I'm just I'm losing my mind. I'm pretty sure I had zero effect on that person. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. I know this now. I know this now. My blood pressure is through the roof. Right? I don't drink anymore, but if I did, I'd be there. So when we get to that one, like I said, if, either be prayed up or just call in sick. Okay? I'm, that's, that's your trigger warning. I'll give it to you when we talk about law too. Okay? So those are the 10 disciplines that we're going to look at. Every worldview has something to say about each one of those disciplines. Every worldview. And the question that we want to ask as we're working through that is, does it align with God's purpose and design? Does it align? And again, because it's not like there's zero truth in a secular worldview. That's not the case. All truth is God's truth. And we can find that in a lot of different areas. But we need a biblical worldview to know what to do with that truth. We need a biblical worldview to know what to do with that truth. So which worldview is true? How do we know? Right? As Christians, we believe our worldview is true. A secularist believes their worldview is true. A Buddhist, a Hindu, everybody that consciously knows that they have a worldview, they believe it's true. I haven't met, I've met a few, but I haven't met many people that says, yeah, this is my belief. I know it's wrong, <laughs> but I'm pretty good with it. One person that I've ever met and had a discussion with, one person said that. Hey, it's my belief. All right. Sure. Right? Truth has two parts. Understanding what is true in our minds. Right? Romans 12, 2. I think Doug was, he wasn't quoting that, but that's, I think, might have been the reference there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we're in his word, when we're in the scriptures, when we're studying, when we're memorizing, when we're meditating, when we're sharing, right? When we're teaching, we're transforming our mind. Scripture calls us to do that. Right? And then there's understanding what's true in our hearts. Right? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the Thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, when Scripture talks about the heart, it's not necessarily talking about, oh, how do you, how do you feel about that? Right? The heart is the seat of your emotions. Is what that is. But again, even if we talk about feelings, if our feelings don't align with the facts, our feelings are leading us astray. If our feelings don't align with what God's Word says, then our feelings are leading us astray. You can't escape it. We live in a culture where feelings rule the day. Feelings and experience, they rule the day. And they will lead you astray. They will lead you astray. So there's four tests of truth. There's a test of reason. Right? Is it reasonable? Can it be logically stated and defended? Is it consistent and not self-refuting? Right? I'm a married bachelor. 
It's a contradiction in ideas. I can't be both. I'm a pregnant man. No. No, you're not. I feel like it. That's the Taco Bell burrito from last night. You are not pregnant. I promise you, you're not. You are not, right? So the test of reason. And then next is the test of the outer world. Is there evidence to support it? It's external corroborating evidence. And I use this a lot, man, when I'm talking about, is, 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 is the word of God true? Right? And we go to external evidence. We go to archaeology. We go to the, the text and the manuscripts and we look at that, right? And because when we're dealing with Christianity and Islam, and you could, you could throw Mormonism in there, man, those are historical religions. So we need to go and look at the external evidence. Does it align with what it says? And if it doesn't, that's a mark against truth. It doesn't automatically cast it out, but it becomes a mark against truth. Next, it's the test of the inner world. Does it adequately match what we see and experience in our world? Right, a common thing I have my students go out and ask is, hey, go ask your friends, your teachers, or wherever you're at in school, do you think people are generally good or generally bad? And see what they say. Most seculars can say, I think people are generally good. How come the world's so messed up? If people are generally good, the problems in the world should be exceptions, not the norm. Right? Scripture says, man, we are fallen creatures. Our hearts are wicked and evil beyond all. The wages of sin is death. For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what God's word says. And so when we look at the world, I can see that. Like I said, I can see it in my life. I get it. Which worldview best aligns with that? Does it line up with what we think and feel? And again, there's that feel thing again. Our feeling, God's given us feelings. God's given us emotions. They're not bad things. Right? It's just not what we lead with. It's just not what we lead with. It's going to make a joke, but I'm not going to. It'll get me in trouble. Test of the real world. Are its consequences good or bad when it's applied in any given cultural context? Does it work for all people in all times and all places? Right? So here's an example I like to use. China has, I think it's as of 2020, 2021, 1.4 billion people. That's a mess of people. 1.4 billion. And man... They were just having, it was just growing crazy. And so China comes up with a one-child policy. You get one baby, that's it. Right? And because in, the, in their culture, males are more important than females. And so the female babies were being aborted at an unbelievable rate. China two years ago, I might be wrong on that, changed their policy from a one-child policy. Hey, you can have two, it's either two or three. It's a two, is that what it is? So it's two. And it wasn't because they found Jesus and they thought, oh, kids are, two kids aren't bad, three are bad. 
Two kids on a bed. What they found out was is you have all of these men and there's no women to marry. Hey, guys, I don't really even need to explain that, I don't think. <laughs> right? That's going to create problems. Lots of problems. And so China's like, yeah, we probably should think about that. We should probably think about it. I think what you'll see happen, because since China implemented that, their population is still declining. It's still declining. I think, I could be wrong, is that eventually it'll be, you have to have so many kids. You need to get busy because their population is declining, which it's, that's running their economic machine or ruining their economic machine. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences, right? We can go to Rome, the Roman culture. Man, they had a thing called exposure, right? So when a baby was born, and again, males were more desirable than females, they would just take that baby and they would just leave it out in the wilderness somewhere. They would just leave it out in the wilderness. You know what? Rome had the same problem. We got all these guys and the women to marry. Let me tell you how good God is. Let me tell you how good he is. The Christians would go out and find those baby girls and they would raise them as their own. They raised them in Christian beliefs. And so as a Roman citizen, it's like, you know, that Christian family then has got a couple of nice girls. Right? I could probably do that Christian thing. Right? And we know the influence that women have. We get it. That is how the culture, Roman culture turned. That's how the Roman culture turned. The Christians in the culture went and created a flourishing environment for those abandoned babies. We already, right now, America is at, uh, the, to replace the, the birth rate, it's 2.1%. If we are to keep our population at the same level, just static. It's just static. No, it's not growing. It's not diminishing. It's 2.1. And depending on how you figure those numbers, we're either right at 2.1 or we're at 1.8. Depending on, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a statistician. I'm not a math guy. I'm I'm a bookstore guy. That's all I am. Okay. And so, um, but when you look at Japan and you look at those Eastern cultures, man, it is an aging population. It's an aging population. And so just imagine, have you ever been in a church where everybody is 70 years or older? Right? That's a dead church. They just don't know it yet. Yeah, Doug. Yeah, it's yeah, it's two. Yeah, it's the birth rate. I'm sorry. It's it's two point one births. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you, Doug. Um, so we're not even replacing that population. Japan, Taiwan, they're all in that boat. 
And so now we're trying to convince a postmodern millennial culture and younger, hey, you know what? You should go out and have some babies. I don't think so. I don't think so. Look, and, and so it's a declining culture. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. Henry? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I would just say ultimately you're worshiping, your, worshiping yourself. I mean, that, that's, where we, that's where we ultimately end up at. It's, it's the self-worship itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is, but ultimately it comes down to self-idolatry. I mean, that, that's, that's, what, that's what it comes down to when we deal with those aspects. But again, it's... We have a culture to influence. We have to know what the problems are so that we can best respond to the issues. Okay? Uh, so four tests, look at this worldview. It's, it's another great video. Watch it when you get home. Okay, so here's the, so here's the problem, right? According to Barna, 63% of teenagers agreed that Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, all, and all other people pray to the same God even though they use different names for their God. I gave a worldview survey to our college students. I teach college on Sunday morning. You'd be surprised at how many students answered that question like that. You'd be surprised. You know, you try to look at the results and you just try to be cool and you're just like, oh, that's okay, we can work with this. But inside I'm like, have you lost your mind? Are you kidding me? Right? Let that be your question that you ask people this week. Do you think we're all just praying to the same God? We just have different names? Just ask. Yeah. Just going to ask on the survey, uh -huh. if, if they survey, what does the data really say? What uh, the metadata say? The metadata says on that survey is what I've already shared, that you end up with gen, uh, millennials are about 2% or 3% have a Christian worldview, and they kind of they break it down like that. Uh, Yeah. If you if you do the whole thing, because if you can do a survey and answer part of it from a biblical perspective and another part from a secular perspective. And so when they measure it, they measure it. How many people answer from a biblical view 100 percent of the time? And then they measure all of the other answers. So you could come out and you answer from a biblical view 63 percent of the time, but you get that one wrong. But more important than that is it's not how often do you answer from a biblical view, but how often do you actually live out a biblical worldview? I mean, that really becomes the issue, which I don't know if studies can necessarily uh, bring that about or not, but that really becomes the issue. But you have to know it before you can live it. Okay? All right. Hang on. 735. I've got 10 minutes. So the solution, inoculation plus refutation. Man, we need to prepare our students. Let them know that this is coming. All right? 
Spent 15 minutes with the class this morning talking about gay marriage. There's a guy named Matthew Vines, right? I don't know if you know him. If you don't, look him up. He's a gay Christian that says, as long as you're in a homosexual, monogamous marriage, that's honoring to God. Spent two hours watching this whole thing and listening to his case. And if I didn't know Scripture, wow, that sounded pretty good. So I asked to ask the students, what do you think? And it's like, well, I, don't, I know it's wrong. Why are you going to answer it? So they know the issue. We just have to figure out the answer, right? And that's what the refutation part is. And so then we walk through, how do we answer that from a biblical perspective? How do we answer that from a logical, rational, natural perspective? Inoculation, you prepare them, you let them know this is coming, and then you help them refute the answers. Right? We must know the truth, teach the truth, and live the truth. Right? We need to expose the lies that deceive people, that make them captive. Right? We, need to we need to know what the lies are, we need to expose them, and then we need to refute those lies. If we don't teach our people to do that, they'll become captives. They'll become captives. Teach them thinking skills necessary to resist and refute the lies of the world. We don't think well. We don't think well as people. Look, if you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I go to church. I've been, I've got a great life group teacher. My pastor's awesome. i got a biblical worldview. That's not enough. you got to be actively cultivating that in your life. All right, you know, it's that old joke. Old farmer tells his wife, hey, I told you I loved you when we got married. Yeah, ladies, is that really going to work? No. you got to actively build that, and we have to do that with a biblical worldview. Right? We live life, we live the life we live because of our worldview. Literally, the worldview drives our behavior. Quick piece, we're going to go with culture. Right? Been to the beach, there's waves. Some waves are big waves, some waves are little waves. And sometimes you don't even know the waves there. Right? The most dangerous ideas in our society are not the ones that are being adamantly argued. It's the ones that are assumed to be natural. All right? Does anybody know what that second picture is showing us? And it's a riptide, right? I looked at a lot of pictures. That was the one that showed it the best. There were a lot of riptide pictures in your life. Okay, I'll trust you on that, right? The waves we understand. We don't understand the riptide until we get caught up in it. Man, those ideas that we assume as natural are the riptides in our culture. And they will sweep you out to sea and they will destroy you. Culture is for humans what water is to the fish. Right? The environment we live in and, and we think it's normal. Now, fish doesn't think, I get that. Right? We don't think about breathing. Who's breathe? 
Nobody has to come into the store. Ricky, you haven't breathed in a few minutes. You probably need to do that. <laughs> we just do it naturally. It's assumed. Right? So when we look at our culture today that presents the LBGTQ plus as normal, whether it's in commercials, movies, policy, uh, politics, etc., when in fact it's abnormal. We treat it as normal. We, we don't even talk about that it's not normal. We just present it that it is. And if we're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview in our life, we will absorb that. It's, oh, yeah, that's, it's just normal. It's not normal. It's unnatural and it's abnormal. How do I know that? God's Word tells me. It deviates from His purpose and design. Not only that, but we, right, we live in a world, right? They present that which is true and good and beautiful as abnormal and oppressive. Right? Scripture talks about that. In the last days, they will call good evil and evil good. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah. That's the culture we're in. Culture's greatest influence is in what it presents as normal. So what is culture? It's the sim in the simplest form, culture is what we do with the world. We build, we create, we invent, we tear down. That's culture, right? Culture is what human beings make of the world. It's what we make of the world. And here's the beautiful thing, man. God gives us a cultural mandate, right? We got the great commissions. We got the great commandment. We have this cultural mandate, right? We find it in 126 and 28, right? And this is where I took the students back to this morning, talking about gay marriage, right? Part of this purpose and design that we have in male and female is, is to procreate, to go and make babies. Well, man, when we enter into a homosexual relationship, we do so knowingly and willingly enter into a sterile relationship. You're not making any babies. That's outside of God's purpose and design. It's outside of it. And so we talk about that. That's cultural mandate. But God made us with the capacity to do something with this world. And so it's not just making babies. It's not just having dominion over the world. Right? It's to create a culture of flourishing. Think Jeremiah 29. Right? Jeremiah is talking to the exiles. They've been exiled in Babylon. And he tells them, hey, while you're there, you're going to be there for a little bit. You need to give your daughters and sons away in marriage. You need to plant crops. You need to build homes. You need to pray for the welfare of the city, for in its welfare, you'll have wealth. They're in Babylon, in exile. That word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. It's shalom. It's not just peace. It's flourishing. It's abundance. It's creating God's goodness in a fallen world. That's the cultural mandate, to build our society and create culture, and in doing so, we restore or help restore the created order. Part of God's purpose and design is that we create a culture that flourishes in such a way that God is glorified in the name of Christ is proclaimed. We need to create a flourishing culture. Culture permeates everything we do. We find it in all of these areas. Man, you find it everywhere. Institutions. 
They're the main vehicle for perpetuating and maintaining culture. These are the primary institutions, family, church, and government. You know what I love about this? These are three God-ordained institutions. God ordained these institutions to create a culture of flourishing, to create a culture where every human life is valuable, whether they know Christ or not, they're valuable. All right? And then we also find that in these other institutions, education, media, health. Healthcare, yeah, yeah, healthcare, yeah. They all drive culture. Because at some point in time, we create culture, and then the culture creates us. And the institutions will drive that. Understanding worldviews is crucial to understanding culture. We create cultures, and then culture shapes us. Look, we need to keep the moment and the story straight. And this is, this is what I mean by this. Man, we look... At today, and we're like, it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. That's the moment. The train wreck does not define the story. It's one moment. Just imagine a linear scale from creation to the time we enter heaven in the book of Revelation. It's one moment in time. It does not define the story. God defines the story. Look, it's easy to get down. It's easy to be anxious. It's easy to do all those things. We need to remember the moment does not define the story. God does. He has placed you in this time and in this place for this moment. You're not here by accident. I'm not here by accident. He has us here to extend his kingdom, to glorify his name, and to create a culture that flourishes and draws people to Christ. That's what we're here for, right? I used to go out and share the gospel, and if somebody said no, I was demoralized. It's like I was just taking it personal. You know how well I did that? That was great. God didn't call me to save anybody. That's his job. My job and your job is to share the truth, to share the love of the gospel. The saving part? That belongs to the Holy Spirit. Don't take on a role that's not yours to take on. But we definitely need to take the role on that God's called us to take on. The story is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's God's story. That's the story we need to tell. That's the story that we need to live. These three books... This is what I'm drawing heavily upon as I, as I kind of walk through this whole thing. Um, How Now Shall We Live by Chuck, uh, Chuck Colson or Charles Colson and Nancy Piercy. Um, a Practical Guide to Culture, Understanding the Times by Summit Ministries. I would not buy all three. One will do it. If you have children or grandchildren, I would get the middle one, Practical Guide to Culture. It's awesome. I love these books. Um, the understanding of the times, I've been through it three or four times teaching it. Um, but if, if you want, it's not necessary. If you're just wanting to gain some more information, those are the three books. There's plenty of them out there. There's hundreds of them. These are just three that I'm drawing upon. And is there any questions? I know it's a little long. I apologize about that. Any questions? Let me close this in prayer. Blessed Father, Lord, we thank you that we're living in your story. 
We're striving to live according to your purpose and design. Lord, we want to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. We want to be clothed in your righteousness. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, that we go and we speak your truth in love. We speak it in compassion and mercy, Lord. We live it in our lives that, that people will be drawn to you, Lord. You've called us to this time and moment, and for that we rejoice. We thank you. We pray that you would use us. You would mold us. You would shape us. You would make us all that you desire us to be, Lord Jesus. We love you. We bless you and praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your mighty and matchless name we ask these things. Amen.